Hello and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional conversation where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army civilian professional. I'm your host, David Howie. Hey, Leader Up audience, we've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about a topic that is on everybody's mind and in everybody's heart. And I used to hear about it all the time in the classroom, and it's conflict. So we're going to talk today about what conflict is, why it's important, and and how maybe we can deal with it. And and we've got a great guest today from the advanced course. This is Mr. Dennis Branson, and he is a, an instructor from the advanced course. And so, Dennis, thank you so much for being with us today on Leader Up. Great to be here, Dave. Okay, so I, w- I want to start off with just maybe a little bit about your background uh, and maybe some of the work that you've done with conflict. Great. So I'll dial back about 20 years ago or a little over that. Um, I started out in a thing called community mediation to get trained uh, to go people help people in the community uh, that are having different small claims disputes through the court system. That's sort of how I came on board was through a thing called community mediation. Um, shortly after, I received that 40-hour training, uh, which, by the way, we get in our advanced course, and I think the intermediate course both goes through about a 40-hour you know, course of training down at Johnson County Community College, similar to that. Uh, but it was soon thereafter that I began uh, to – I got the opportunity to uh, work at the Federal Executive Board down in Oklahoma City on a program called the Shared Neutrals. Um, Now, we have one of those here in Kansas City uh, through the Federal Executive Board where we help federal employees work out uh, particularly EEO-related disputes. Um, So I began doing that a little over, like I say, 20 years ago. Uh, So my real background in this is uh, not from the academic side necessarily. It's more from the practitioner side, or as I say, being at the mediation table. uh, For I'd say somewhere uh, north around 100 cases I've probably done over the years uh, that involve uh, a federal employee dispute. So that's really my my angle that I'm coming in from and uh, where I'd kind of like to talk about some things today. And that phrase, just could you clarify that a little bit? Shared neutrals, is that right. the phrase that you use? Just what is that and what would that mean uh, as I'm working through conflict? Right. It's a, it's a body of trained volunteers from around the federal community, um, from all the different you know three, four-letter agencies that we have here in the Kansas City. About 19 federal executive boards around the country have been doing these programs for uh, about 25 to 30 years now, where it's, uh, again, volunteers trained as third-party neutrals to come in and do what we call the facilitative mediation process. Okay. So let's, let's start talking specifically about, about conflict. And I want to start with an idea that I've heard you talk about, and it's this idea of the, what is the ecosystem that we live in. And something that I've heard, and I've, I've thought about this phrase so often, and it's really thought-provoking, is that fish don't understand what water is because they live in it. And that gets to our ecosystem. So how is that kind of related to this idea of organizational conflict and and how it's dealt with? So there's a a video that from time to time I show in the advanced course, and it's a, it's a video you can go and get out on the internet openly. It's called, this is water. Um, It was by one of the bright thinkers of the nineties named David Foster Wallace, where he talks about 
uh, as you said, fish in a fishbowl. Imagine the goldfish swimming around inside of a fishbowl. And we don't even realize necessarily the system or the, we could say the culture, if we want to equate uh, the water that's in a fishbowl that we're swimming in. What is our culture that we're in? And whether it be a small unit, a uh, team, all the way up to uh, a major command or whatever you'd want to say, the Army itself. What is our, what is our ecosystem? Um, and a couple of the points we like to make out of that, we're all very familiar now with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I think that an inclusive culture uh, is really where I would focus uh, when we talk about conflict is how to become more inclusive in conflict and just managing, preventing conflict, all those kinds of things set up. Uh, the conditions, set the conditions, as we say in the Army, right? That's a popular thing. Uh, the way to set conditions to really prevent, help to manage and resolve conflicts, because they're going to happen. Uh, but if you don't set those conditions, develop the water in which we swim in to be a healthy and not a toxic one. Those are the kind of metaphors that I like to use when we talk about conflict. And so what is conflict? How do you define it? How how have maybe some of your experiences changed the way that you see or understand conflict? How do you define it? That's sort of the million-dollar question when people say, you know, you've been doing mediation and how do you define what that is? And, and I'm going to go ahead and take a poll from uh, one of the assessments, one of the psychometric assessments we use in the uh, AC and the IC is the Strengths Deployment Inventory or the SDI. Um, this is a company called Core Strengths that we leverage one of their assessments in. And I find it to be one of the more talked about assessments in our course. Um, it's the one that people remember the best due to some of the colors that are involved in it and that kind of stuff. But not to go into detail about the assessment itself, the way they define conflict, um, they call it a disagreement that feels like a personal attack on our values. And I would go a little farther to say uh, it's either something that's interpersonal uh, it's something that affects our values, or it might even be something that's task-oriented. Those are the three principal ways that most of the experts in the literature out there talk about what are the types of conflict. Um, so maybe there's a disagreement. Uh, maybe it's an it's an out-and-out out, you know, exchange of words or whatever it might be. Um, I also like the way SDI frames it. What I see a little bit more going on in the world is opposition. Opposition is an objective disagreement that leads to smarter decisions. So this is where you typically people say, can conflict be good? And I don't know so much that conflict or open conflict is good. I don't think any of us really want to experience that type of um, thing that goes on when we're having those exchanges that are very uncomfortable. But the things in terms of opposition and the way to frame it is, do you really think that a team can be healthy that doesn't have any opposition? And I think you'd agree that the answer is, no, not really. I've not been on many good teams that keep opposition or any type of conflict out of that team. Uh, and we see that a lot in the course um, as we go through the types of drills that we have people do and the amount of work that they have to do in the AC course over a four-week period. There's a little bit of opposition that's going on. The goal there is to not have it turn into conflict. That's really where we see the application of the tools, the assessments, uh, the many things that we do, I feel like, that are inherent in our CES to help get at that. So conflict versus opposition is the way they frame it in the SDI, and I really like that. And I, I know in the, in the intermediate course, and I taught in the intermediate course for years, 
I always was a little suspect when a, you would ask a team about how they're working and what kind of conflict they had, and they say, we didn't have any conflict. Okay, well, that number one, that's probably not true. Number two, when I hear that, I wonder if is it safe in that group to voice conflict. Great I'd term. rather have a I'd rather have folks who say, "We wanted to do the presentation like this," and two other ones say, well, "I kind of wanted to do it this way." Okay, well, how'd you guys deal with that? Well, we worked this out and that out. So I I'm always encouraged when there's that open uh, acknowledgement. Yeah, we had conflict. I saw it one way; they saw it a different way. But then how do we get past that? Is there a way for us to get past that? So, yeah, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in complete agreement with you. And um, I wanted to ask you about another phrase that, uh, that I've heard you use, and it's leading conflict, to lead conflict. What does that mean? There's been, again, um, along the lines of some of the research that's out there, uh, ways with any type of uh, methodology that we're using, you, you you see a lot of these same terms. So I'm going to throw out a few uh, that I'm pulling uh, from uh, from an article here called "Leading in the Heat of Conflict." And the first thing is to anticipate, uh, take time to obtain information, develop the facts. That's always a big part of the way that I've learned to be a mediator. The first thing we really do in mediation is we fact find. Uh, we have both sides tell their story. You'll see that as a very common thing when you're helping people, whether it's at uh, a mediation table or conflict coaching, get the facts. Um, that's another point in the course. We talk about challenge your assumptions. We help people to think about challenging the assumptions and the facts and really get the critical thinking going. That's, that's a big part of the course, in and out. Uh, prevention, to develop strategies before the conflict ever occurs. Um, that is not easily done just through training. We tend to think of training as one of the main ways to do that. And it's great. It's good to have the different, you know, understanding of training. Maybe we need to take a time out and we need to take some of those courses, which I'd like to be able to talk about that towards the end. I have a couple of good ones. But prevention, tough piece. Um, identifying when conflict is actually happening. Um, I think we've all been there as supervisors uh, or uniform or in uh, the civilian side, uh, knowing when our people just aren't getting along. We can feel it a lot of times, and we certainly see it. Uh, so how do we move, and what are the right steps to begin to actually manage it is the fourth step. So managing um, and really the things that go into what we call conflict management, that's where you're going to have to start maybe making either interventions or asking people to make decisions about how uh, they're working together or not. And then finally, the resolution piece. And resolution um, is got different levels to it, not to go into the different levels of conflict resolution, uh, but we think about reconciliation and making everything whole within a relationship. That's really the, the ultimate when we finish out how to bring back team unity and all the things that need to go on, building trust, all of that stuff. So there's really about five steps according to different models that you could use. Uh, but I think really the whole goal is to create a conflict competent environment. And that's something that I'm really starting to uh, talk to people more about than the steps to something or uh, the how to's and, you know, the five different ways. There's lots of information out there. Uh, but I, I think if I had to summarize it all up as far as leading conflict, this is going to sound a little cheeky here, but it's about leadership 
leading conflict right. is about leadership. Uh, you know, and I, and I got a I got a comment at the end of a briefing I gave here recently to, to some folks and, uh, and across the federal community, and and that was the first thing is, well, I'd like to get you know the steps to how I help someone resolve leadership, and I say, well, I don't or how to resolve conflict. I said, well, I don't know as much managing conflict all the time, but it's about really being a good leader. You know, and if I could have spent a little more time with the lady that asked the question, I would say, what is your leadership training? What type of leadership challenges have you done or what in your in your world of work have you done to improve and understand your leadership style and how you help your people to navigate conflict? So it's really about leadership. And I know we default a lot in this environment, too. It's about being a leader. But that really is the hard answer, I think, to how do I handle conflict? Because leaders uh, are the ones who really uh, create the environment, the climate in an organization. And set conditions. Um, and I know for me, I'll just tell you that I, I love it uh, in the classroom when there's a slide up and a student raises their hand and says, I don't know if I agree with that. Okay, tell, tell me more. Help me understand. Let's have a discussion. Right. Let's have a dialogue. Yeah, and then, and then I will ask them, how long do you want me to spend trying to convince you? And they'll say, none, because you're not going to. Okay, great. Because I, I can't, if they have that thought in their mind, I can't unthink that from their mind. And I have to respect that person's viewpoint and opinion. Is that, that's kind of a conflict. A, a philosophy about dealing with conflict, is it not? It is. And we all will react differently to that. And you see it in really the virtual side of our training um, is where I think I have to, and I, I can't speak for all of our awesome facilitators in the AC course or certainly the IC, but I think we all uh, realize that the lack of the paraverbals, as we say, and not really seeing people's body language and the things that go on. Um, and, and I'm excited in heck conversations I have with people around uh, in the AC about this is what being a hybrid leader is all about. Uh, and by that, I mean leading in the environment of some days you're at work, but a lot of days you're not at work anymore. Well, at least as we go now into the holidays, some of us are back and, and doing the things we're doing here. But it's really a challenging environment, I think, now more than ever to understand people's cues, understand what, how people react to these things when they cannot see you. That makes for a really interesting environment. It, it does. It, it is, as an instructor, it's, it's challenging um, because you, can't, you can't, see the, can't see the lights going on, it's, and it, it does become very difficult. Um, so, it's, so we talked about leading conflict, and, and then you also talked about uh, creating a conflict competence kind of an environment where there are ways for me to voice my my opinion, my views, and I don't. I'm not afraid to do that because I'm afraid of uh, being marginalized or ignored in the organization. Um, I, I want to go to this Abraham Lincoln quote, and uh, Abraham Lincoln said, "When I'm ready, getting ready to uh, reason with someone, I spend one third of my time." thinking about myself and what I'm going to say, and then two-thirds thinking about the other person and what they're going to say. So it's, we're back to that one-third, two-third rule we used to, to hear about. So I only think about my own position one-third of the time, but I want to think about the other person's two-thirds of the time. What does that mean and why is that important? 
Well, I'm taking time to think right now about what I'm going to say. Okay. So really um, love the quote. Um, and we use Abraham Lincoln a lot in our culture. And I think that I have three T's I like to say. And, and really the, the, the first one, before we do anything, if we're actually in an environment where we feel that opposition, that potential, as we say, be triggered into conflict, the first thing we want to do is engage the brain. So we want to use that cognitive thinking. And we really go to a couple ways, not just our IQ. We know IQ is important. But as we say in the course or the courses all the time, the EQ has been found to be probably more of a skill that's needed all the time than even our intelligence or our IQ. So EQ, the emotional intelligence piece, the work by Dan Goleman that we talk about in the course, right. one of the biggest tie-ins I could say to how do you work on conflict uh, or what are some of those things that you do in the advanced course? And I would submit that the Emotional intelligence is really where we start off. Of course, critical thinking and creative thinking, we have that as one of our AC contents as well. Uh, but I, I really go back again to using um, the emotional intelligence part, and there's some things that we could break that down with. But just thinking before we speak, thinking before we act, and how we self-regulate those things are really part. And as we look at being a mediator, again, I'll tie a few things back here to that practitioner mediation stuff that everybody wants to, you know, think of me as more understanding of conflict because I've done that work. Uh, one of the things we do at the table or we say as a mediator is we get people first to tell their stories. So you'll have both sides of the argument, so to speak, or whatever has brought you to the table that day. And we'll go through, again, that fact-finding point, that really lining things out, not just for us as the mediators to hear it, but so that the other parties can really listen to each other. And we can start to break down those emotions and get people regulated back into listening to, we hope, to get the person or the parties listening to the other side. And then even be thinking about what they're doing. One of the very simple tools that we use there, and I'll just put this one out, whether it's a thinking tool or one of my three T's or whatever that I say, is – when someone is saying something that you don't necessarily agree with, simply write it down. You don't have to talk. You can use a pen and paper, and what we afford the people at the table is, please take notes and do not interrupt the other party when they're speaking. Just those little things can make a big difference to people to write down, and they see what they're writing down. So again, time back into the AC course, a big part of that's called reflective journaling. So from week to week, we will have our students, as they're experiencing things, which sometimes can be a little bit of opposition and maybe opposition with someone in the team in the seminar or maybe a facilitator like myself or whatever is going on. They can use that reflective journaling, which is a very powerful tool that we use at the mediation table per se. I hope that's making a little bit of sense there about just how to use that thinking and how to use the things that we do in a practical manner. And conflict is, is an emotional uh, uh, activity conflict is do, would you agree with this that when there's conflict there's there's acute emotions involved is that is that a fair statement oh yeah and i, I don't think we ever separate ourselves from the emotional person and the cognitive you know the things that are going on cognition is emotion is a part of that and, and i think that what we try to talk about when we look at again i'll, I'll use for example that strengths deployment inventory about how we talk about the different stages of where people go into conflict and the things that are going on 
Um, and, and they break it down through three levels of assert, accommodate, and analyze. Those are the different stages. Again, not to make this all about the SDI, but it is a nice way uh, to help maybe break things down uh, about the different levels that you go into that stage three where everything else has gone away and you're only thinking about yourself at that point. You're not thinking about the other person. You're not thinking about the problem or the issue at hand. You're only thinking about yourself. That's not what we want to have, whether you're doing conflict coaching or you're doing mediation or some form of dispute resolution. You're really trying to get them to think about the other person or certainly at least really focus on the mission if you can't even get focused on the other person, not removing the emotion, but changing that emotion. And that's what I think some of these assessments can really help to do is get you thinking about how you're processing things and how you're managing that emotional intelligence. Absolutely. And, and one of the, I, I heard a phrase not too long ago regarding emotional intelligence and it's name it to tame it. So in other words, it's what were you, so this happened, what, what did you, what was your feeling and a lot of people, until you ask that question, they really haven't thought about it. Absolutely. You know, and they'll say, you know, I was angry. When I found out that we had to do this, that, or whatever, I was angry, or I was disappointed, or I was frustrated, or I was confused. And so angry, frustrated, disappointment, and confused, the all, all, all of those will require a kind of a different approach. Because uh, if somebody says they're confused, you can unconfuse it. Okay, well, let's talk. Let's talk it out. Here's here's the facts, as you said, and we can work it out. If somebody's angry, there may be some uh, a, a higher level of reconciliation that needs to happen. Absolutely. And one of the, again, back to the mediator table role, or if you're actually helping to people, uh, people navigate conflict as a third party, when I'm listening to people talk or tell their side or their story, however you want to say it, I'm taking copious notes and I'm making little drawings and all kinds of things that we do as mediators to help us to put into context what we think we might be seeing so that we can begin to open up the dialogue so we can actually get them talking. We don't do that at first. We usually have people completely talking to us as a mediator in the style that I've learned in this facilitated mediation. And then the goal is to start to get them talking to each other. And if you can start to open those pathways up about maybe people who are very entrenched, there may be a lawsuit that's gone on or an EO case or whatever those ugly things are. You're really allowing them to be able to talk with each other. But in order to identify what might be really below the waterline, what's where's, where's that big iceberg I'm trying to kind of figure out, not as a counselor, not as to try to fix all those things, but just to really see where can I help generate options, where can I get the dialogue going, and then maybe even move towards some form of an agreement between these people who haven't gotten along very well to this point. Absolutely. I like to name it and claim it. I might even write that one down. Absolutely. That's a really no good, problem. That's and a good um, one. Uh, one of the things that I've I've fo- always focused on in the classroom, and I've I've had I've had some blow ups in the classroom, people wanting to change groups or change seminars. the The first thing that I focus on is is listening. So you got you got a group of students, and they're talking about something that happened. each person states their piece and then I'm going to go back and, and ask the other people, what did they say? What did you hear them say? And I've, I've found that when people can show that they're listening, that all that, all that junk 
the the feelings and the emotions start to uh, dissipate a little bit. So is that, do you agree with that? Does that make sense? Well, thank you for giving me my second T, which is tuning in or listening. So we talked a little bit about the thinking and using both your emotions and your cognition kind of in together with that first T of thinking. Now we're going to tune in and listen. And and there's a really popular, um, you know, you can see several TED Talks on it and different things about active listening. Um, we don't have a course called Listening or Communication in the AC. That's a little something before you come to us typically. We hope right. people have done that. Uh, but one of the best ways to persuade others is with your ears. That was a guy named Dean Rusk, a former Secretary of State of this country, and I love that. Uh, active listening is about observing a speaker and reaching the highest level of listening when one hears the message and senses the speaker's emotions. So again, we're tied in to what active listening isn't just repeating back what the person said, which is uh, we call reframing or uh, paraphrasing back. So I know that the message was properly received back to me. That's great. But to really understand and to get shared understanding, we talk a lot about that shared understanding. Right. And that's, and that's where I, I listen to the what you're saying. And then I say back to you, it sounds like you're frustrated about that. And then that, so if I, if I can, if I can uh, key into your, the other person's emotions, that, that might help the conflict a little bit. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the other things that happen in the advanced course, some other activities uh, and just other techniques that, that you use or, or things that are in the curriculum to, to deal with conflict in some way? We have an elective still. It's, a, it's been a part of our main core curriculum within the AC, and we still have it now as an elective. Very popular one. It's probably the one that has the most frequency in our electives block in the fourth week, and it's called the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument, or TKI. We call it Understanding Conflict, and the majority of that block of uh, elective instruction is used to get at the Thomas Kilman Mode Instrument. It's a product from, again, another psychometrically-based assessment from the Myers-Briggs uh, Corporation. Uh, and it's really uh, a very simple, highly effective, uh, and, and a type of an assessment that's really just a, a baseline about what happens when we go into conflict based on two um, dimensions of assertiveness on one side to cooperative on the other side. So you, not to break down the whole assessment, but there's five different styles or preferred ways that people go into conflict. I'll just name those briefly and really recommend for folks to look at TKI and go online and check that out. Competing, collaborating, compromising, avoiding, and accommodating. There's a couple in there that are pretty close. I think everybody would understand what avoiding means. Uh, many of us are what we would say conflict avoidant. We hate conflict, however you want to term those things. It's not always bad. Um, I, I'm kind of the opposite end of that spectrum. Uh, as I filled out that, that uh, instrument, I typically come back as a uh, collaborating type of person or personality or my preferred style. Uh, and that's not always the best way to be. It's more along the lines of being a mediator. It kind of lines me up well with that type of skill. Uh, but some of the other ones of competing, compromising, or accommodating take a little bit more of an understanding 
uh, of what those are, but I would just leave it at this. All five of those preferred styles we use at different points. The ones that we use the most probably are where we'll say our preference would be either avoiding, maybe you're a competing style, uh, so you're much more assertive than you are uncooperative, and so on. Um, but it's really nice for people to have a little bit of a context. Any of these instruments that we use don't define you. I always tell students, hey, just use them as a tool in your toolkit and at least help to understand maybe how other people are handling things. Yeah, because I, I and the coaching point, I think, for something like TKI is, number one, all five of those uh, conflict uh, resolution techniques um, are valid and useful, like you said, depending on the context. So sometimes avoiding is exactly what's needed. Sometimes competing is exactly what's needed. But there's sometimes when my preferred style of dealing with conflict isn't, and mine is accommodating. I like to accommodate people. Like to make, you tell me what you want, I, I'll, yep. I'll do what I can to get it for you. Yep. Uh, but sometimes that's not the right approach. And um, I have to be aware of other choices that I can, that I can make uh, to recognize that my, my go-to skill that I can do effortlessly without thinking about it isn't what's needed today. And I have to make a different choice or the, or if I'm dealing with conflict, it's just going to perpetuate. It's going to keep going. Yeah. And, and Dave, one thing that I do want to point out as we, you know, finish out the conversation, um, all these tools are wonderful. The tools within the toolkit, the analogy we like to use, uh, but probably one of my top points that I like to make about what I've learned about and in, in being a mediator or being at the table with people or parties in conflict is every case is unique. Um, every conflict is pretty unique. And, and by that, I mean, there are definitely things that will help in terms of training, using assessments of self-awareness or self-development. But the case in point, I've always wondered, man, I wish I could have had a uh, the parties, all these mediations I've done, I could have got what their TKI is or what their SDI motivation value system we didn't talk about. But what motivates that person? What might they do when they go into conflict? I think a typical mediator would say, that's all great. I'll have that as a piece of information, but I still need to look at and understand what's happened between these people in the circumstance in which they've been. So in other words, it's case by case. And I, I use the term, if you've seen one mediation, you've seen one mediation or one conflict because they are all very unique into themselves. Uh, so great tools to have and great ways to understand things. But I think you have to remember that when you're dealing with people in interpersonal conflict, this is what we're really talking about. It's not just about a simple task. It's not necessarily about a larger process. It's about something that's gone on that's caused interpersonal conflict. Every case is just a little bit different, and you have to kind of really listen and check those facts out. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, I'm a, I might get somebody's uh, TKI results or SDI results and look at them and think they're going to act a certain way. And depending on the situation, they may be completely opposite of what I think just because they've gotten, they've gotten hijacked their, their, their emotions and they're, and they're having a reaction. And then if you catch them two weeks later, they'll say, yeah, I absolutely, that, that that's, that's not the way that I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I don't like that. And I, I wish I would have react. I wish I would have made a different choice that day. And so is there anything, I want to make sure that, is there anything else in the advanced course that, um, 
that you would like to talk about regarding conflict? And I, I, I will ask you this. I was particularly interested uh, to hear what you said about the journal, how, how that maybe helps you as a facilitator see and deal with conflict. Is that, is that ringing a bell? It really is. Besides the, the obvious, the things that go on, the interactions, just like you mentioned, when you have a student that either isn't participating, is, is participating in a way, maybe back and forth with you as a facilitator, you're trying to lead discussion. Uh, those are things you're making cues of. But when you're getting the opportunity confidentially to review a student's reflective journal entries and some of the things that we put in that is how do you feel? How did you react to other people? We constantly are reflecting our students back to those questions. That's the key to the journaling. Along with putting down what's one word the way that you felt about the week or maybe about the day, that's actually a very powerful tool. Name it, claim it, just yeah. like you said. Absolutely. And that's where we're picking up on what are those emotions, what are those words or descriptors that people use about how they feel towards the situation or towards other people. So again, I think, yeah, reflective journaling, as we cue in to see how people are really, it, it's hard to do that out in the open forum. People aren't going to share those emotions, uh, even classroom or virtual, obviously. It's much more difficult. So that's your one-on-one -on -one there. And then the individual coaching that comes out in week three, whether it be um, our midpoint, what we call coaching in week uh, at the end of week one, where we get some of our tables together and we talk with the three to four or five, six people. But then really when we do that coaching, opening up the toolkit, getting to know that person a little bit better into the third week, I think we see those connections being made. Maybe they can talk about how they're really feeling and what type of opposition or conflict might be going on. You know, one of the things that I used to do in the classroom that I, I found really, really helpful Right in the morning when the students come in, we'd go. It's, the activity is called Where You At? And the question is, and everybody answers this what are you thinking about and what are you feeling? So they'll say, and they'll say, Well, you know, to be honest, I'm thinking about something that's happening at work and I'm frustrated. So you go right here, everybody's feelings. And one time this, this student said, he was kind of a, uh, a quieter student. He said, I'm thinking about what happened at the front gate this morning. So we're in, we're supposed to be starting class. Why, you know, why are you thinking about that? So I was thinking about what happened at the front gate, and I'm angry. And what had happened was somebody cut him off and then uh, used an obscene gesture mm -hmm. uh, after they had done so. And so by taking the time to ask that question, what are you thinking about? What do you, he got all that out. He, we, he talked for about five minutes mm -hmm. about what happened and that, that had happened before like years past. And it was kind of that mm -hmm. you're bringing up the past and I'm having a feeling about it. And so I wondered just in that day, if we hadn't done that, would he have held on to that all day? And would that have affected his team and are they going to be at a point where they're saying, so-and-so is not himself today, what's going on? So you, you get some of that out, and it allows uh, a group or a class to move forward. Is that, does that logical to you? Does that sound? Oh, sure, checking in. I mean, that's one of the things I call that a check-in or and just say, hey, how are you, how are you doing? Because the answer to that is almost always fine. Right. But to go a little past that and get them to actually check in with where are you in your emotions, where are you in your, um, it might be a learning issue, maybe I'm just overwhelmed and I need to dial back and do some review. I wish 
our students would say that more because I think they always need it, but we're under the demands of time. Uh, and, and really kind of to put a point on all this, Dave, I like where you're going with uh, bringing this into the team. Uh, most of the things that we talk about with conflict, if it'd just be a counseling session if I'm sitting here worrying about you as an individual and you're not involved with anybody else. Everything that we're talking about is in a team environment within the AC or the IC, either one. So as we go through this institutional training, it's a team sport. You know, it's a contact sport, as we say, and it needs to be done within the context of team building. So the Army products we have out there from the different handbooks that relate around team building. Um, we have another module uh, within the AC. Uh, we talk about influence and mission command uh, and especially those things around team building and that. And so many places that we have it injected, I think, as a part of our connective tissue in the AC. Uh, that's how I would respond to where do you find stuff about conflict. It's all over. Again, it's about leaders learning to use the tools they need to do to help their people to navigate opposition, conflict, and the dissonance that goes on in their lives. And when we ask someone, how are you doing, and they say, fine, fine uh, often stands for fearful, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. It's because they don't, but they don't want to tell you that. So they just yeah, say, it's hard. Right. It's it is hard. hard it's people. hard. And you know, I think we need to realize we're dealing with the, uh, uh, a lot between, again, the emotion, the cognition. And we got to look at that as a system. People aren't some, a project to fix, but we need to understand what they might be going through. So we can, again, getting back to that conflict competent environment. So as things maybe start to move up and down the needle, you know, the pressure starts, the temperature starts to raise in the room. We got a great little activity uh, that we ask people, you know, if it's a weather forecast today, how, how you feel it, right? Stormy, fair to partly cloudy. You know, you joke about those little things, but people can really safe, non-attributional way of saying how they really feel by maybe associating it with a weather type of event, how they're feeling. That's a good one. And so uh, in our final moments here, uh, Dennis Branson, I'd like to give you the opportunity to talk about some uh, other sources, books, or maybe some trainings that, that we could refer people to to kind of learn more or to inform themselves a little bit better about uh, dealing with conflict. Absolutely, Dave. I, I, I never anything wrong with taking uh, the facilitative mediation as a model, you know, like the the 40-hour course that uh, we're still uh, having folks go through uh, at Johnson County or not. I'd never, you know, tell people not to take a mediation course, but I think there's a lot of work that's come out since I began learning to be a mediator along the lines of uh, conversations, I call it. There's a book called Crucial Conversations by four different authors uh, that, that's out there and very popular. It's on our CAT Commander's reading list. So I would say, first off, Crucial Conversations. It's not a, a quick read, and it takes a little bit of uh, training to probably go along with it uh, to, to press out the concepts. Again, every conflict's a little bit different, and you've got to learn how to work with those things. So there's some good training around Crucial Conversations. The Harvard Negotiation Project has had a book out for years called Difficult Conversations. And there's actually a third one called Fierce Conversations. Again, it's about understanding story from the other side and how you kind of go through that. There's multiple steps. Talk about starting with your heart. That's crucial conversations. You know, all these types of 
uh, of different reads out there. Uh, Udemy has really good uh, stuff. Uh, we now have uh, free at our access all the time. Uh, this this within the, co- the consortium of resources there, and uh, I I would just say that uh, the MCOM folks around as well have uh, lots of good resources that they could point you to. Uh, the EO director at your post, on and on. There's people out there that can help uh, to give uh, good resources, and there's training going on all the time. It's really finding the time and the space and what applies to you. And so, Dennis Branson, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming today and, and being a guest on Leader Up. You are uh, a friend of Leader Up. We, you and I have talked a lot about the podcast, and I really do appreciate all the feedback that you've, that you've given us. And thank you again for uh, dropping by today and talking to us about conflict. Thank you, Dave. And so, Leader Up audience out there, what did you hear? How do you deal with conflict? Have you taken the SDI or the TKI? What is your natural go-to stance about conflict? Do you avoid it? Uh, do you just give in? Do you compete? Um, and are you comfortable with that? Is, that? is that helpful for you? And if it's not, uh, do a little bit of reflection and get some feedback. Maybe, maybe there are different choices that you aren't aware of that you could be aware of. And thank you for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. And join us again for another edition of Leader Up. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening.